Thanks, Owen. Morning, everyone. My name's Sai. It's great to be here amongst you this morning. Yes, uh, I'm glad you clarified that, Owen. It could, it could sound a bit bad. But we, we want lots of women to come next week as a single man. So, uh, <laughs> yes, anyway, anyway. Uh, it's good to be uh, here this morning. As you can see, we're doing things slightly differently to how we normally do it. That's because we feel it's right this morning to bring the Word of God first and then off the back of that, move into all that God has got for us this morning. Because we're believing and expectant that heaven's power is going to break in amongst us this morning. And that's what we've been praying for and that's what we want. Amen? Amen. Good, good. And as you may have guessed, and the title says up there, this is our last in the Kingdom of God series, and I'm speaking on heaven's power breaking through into the world around us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, says this to us. It should come up on the screen uh, behind you. 1 Corinthians 4, 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And just to say, in this series, for those of you that have uh, not been here before, we've already considered the now and not yet aspect of the kingdom of God, how we, uh, the kingdom of God is breaking into this world, but we still live in a fallen world where there is sin, sickness, and suffering. We've already covered, and we've covered, we cover this, uh, not regularly, but we've covered it a number of times as a church, how we as Christians are called to face persecution of varying types, how we're called to suffer from time to time, how we will face difficulties and hardships in life. Jesus made that very, very clear to us. So those of you who come here regularly, you know this. You know that we, we teach in this, uh, in, into this. But today, we feel it's really right that we spend time looking at heaven's power breaking through as the kingdom of God advances amongst us. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he? Your kingdom come. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. And today, we're wanting not just to talk about God's kingdom, we're wanting God's kingdom to break in amongst us in power, into your heart, healing your bodies, helping you deal with those areas of sin that we all struggle with, Increasing your boldness to witness to your friends and to your families and your, and your neighbors. Giving you gifts, his good spiritual gifts to, to move in you and through you. And yes, of course, we're praying and wanting God to move in his miraculous healing power as well. And that's what we're believing God for this morning. You know, there's seasons, aren't there? There's seasons. We're changing into the season of spring now. As I uh, shared before, it's lovely to see all those lambs jumping around in the field and uh, enjoying themselves. And, and my wife hasn't seen them yet, so she's desperate, saying, this afternoon, you've got to take me to see the lambs. And uh, it's not because she's sentimental. It's because she likes eating lamb. But, uh, um, but any, anyway, uh, uh, but there's seasons, aren't there? There's seasons in, 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 the, in the year. There's seasons in your life, you, you know that to be true, and there are seasons in God and in the work of God as well. You know, there was 400 years of prophetic silence before Christ was born, where the people of God were waiting, trusting God that something 
would happen. But year after year, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the nation's attention is arrested and focused on John. But he's just a messenger, just a forerunner of the one who would come after him and in his words would baptize his people in the Holy Spirit and in fire as well. Then Jesus came and is revealed to the nation through John's baptism with the Father declaring from on high that this is my son. With him I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And Jesus goes throughout Israel performing signs and wonders to an extent never seen before. And my friends, we're believing God that we're in a season in history where God is wanting to begin to move in our nation in power again. You know, there's seasons where God moves in in more silent and more subtle ways. And for whatever reason, he chooses to do that. And there are times when he chooses to move in our nation. You can see it over, over our history where he's moved in power. Jesus says to those people who believe in him that greater works will these people do in his name. And as elders... We're believing that God is wanting to move through you into this town and into this area for his glory. As you know, many of you, that we as a church are are caught up with an unreached people group in South Sudan uh, who God is moving in great power. Well, the work started in 1980 where two young missionaries went out to live amongst this tribe in South Sudan. They were there to learn the language, to write it down, and then to begin translating the Bible into that language. After four years, they had to flee due to the civil war that had broken out in, in that country. And on the day that they were due to flee, Helga, um, the, the, the wife, was praying, saying, God, I came here to reach these people And in our time here, we've only seen one young boy saved amongst this tribe. And now I've got to flee. Well, you know, I don't want to go. And during her quiet time that morning, she felt God say to her, It's okay, Helga. In my own time, I will reach these people. 21 years later, that young boy, who is now a young man, it's in 2005, goes back to his tribe to continue the work of translating the Bible and to try and start a church amongst his people. His name's James Lacuda, and he's, he's leading the work now. After two years, a church is planted. After a further uh, five years and much suffering and near-death experiences for him, another two churches are planted amongst his people. And then, as I've shared with you, over the, the next seven years, they see God begin to move in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in great power. And they see 13 churches planted and 5,000 people uh, turning to Jesus. And then in the last two years, God has been moving in great power. 
And they've just seen an exponential growth amongst the tribe. God is doing miracles. So one, one time the, the outreach team went to a village to go and uh, to share the gospel with them. They're chased, chased away by the villagers because the villagers don't, don't want them there. And then the two, uh, two young boys from that village are out in the fields looking after the goats. And they are uh, they're just you know, enjoying themselves. And a bird comes down and lands on the younger one's shoulder. And the older boy says, back that bird away. And the younger boy says, I can't. I can't move my arms. And then the bird speaks to them and says, why are you rejecting my gospel? Send for those people and bring them back. And then the bird uh, disappears. And so the boys run back to the village and they tell their elders what has just happened. And the elders say, oh, well, we'd better go and send for the people then, hadn't we? And so they sent for the people to come back and a church is planted in that village. Praise God. God is moving there in great power. Why did he not do it 35 years ago when Martin and Helga were there in great faith? I don't know. Only God knows. But he is doing it now. He's moving in power now. And there are seasons. And I believe we're coming into a season as a church where we can expect God to move in great power. Indeed, there are many around the nation that are believing God in this nation is about to move in great power again. And he wants you to be ready and expectant for God to work through you. And more than just being ready and expectant, he wants you to enable heaven's power to break through into the world around us. And so there's two simple points I've got this morning. Uh, my name's Simon. I am simple. So simple Simon. So uh, uh, there are two simple points. So the Spirit's power and our faith in his power. So firstly, the Spirit's power. The Apostle Paul wrote this, and if, if you've got your Bibles, you may want to open it at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. Well, that comes up on the screen, so it's uh, there for you. But if you, you know, if you, if you think I may have tweaked it to say what I want, then you, know, you can check in your Bible, but I, I didn't. It's easier just to cut and paste, isn't it? But anyway. Uh, uh, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in much fear and much trembling. And my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Or if you've got an NIV Bible, let's say, of the Spirit's power. Or if you have a New Living Translation, it will say the power of the Holy Spirit. That your faith might not rest in wisdom, of, in, the, in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The Apostle Paul wasn't thinking up clever arguments to try and uh, win people over. He was actually feeling very weak. He was feeling afraid as he shared about Christ. Can you identify with that? I know I can identify with that. Feeling afraid, feeling weak, feeling ill-equipped to share 
with people, your, your faith, feeling like you might not have all the answers that they would want to ask you, feeling that you won't sound clever or, or wise and may seem a bit stupid. So did the Apostle Paul. But it didn't stop him from sharing about Jesus. And my friends, don't let it stop you about sharing about Jesus either. For people aren't won over to Christ through clever words anyway, nor because of your charisma, nor due to any show of strength or anything like that. One is born again by the Spirit of God when they're born again, by when the Spirit comes into them. And he moves, John tells us, where he pleases. It's not down to us. The Spirit is not impressed with your cleverness or your acumen, but your faith and obedience to him. My friends, it's not about you winning people over to Jesus anyway. It's about you just following what you've been asked to do and following the Spirit's promptings to fulfill the command of going to all people and sharing the good news and healing the sick as well. It's the Spirit who draws people. It's the Spirit who saves people. It's not about sounding clever. Even Paul, who was actually a very clever man, he decided at this time he wasn't going to show it. There were times, and you see it in, in the Bible, where Paul reasoned and he argued and he showed how clever he was and how well he understood the faith. And there are times in life where that is appropriate and right. But that's not what saves people. That doesn't actually draw people. Ultimately, true salvation rests on the Spirit of God working in one's heart when the power of, that, of the Spirit breaks out into their life. And demonstrations of the Spirit's power help point people to Jesus as well in the here and now. It's a bit like this. Imagine you're in a dark room with a friend who has never, never seen or heard of a torch before. Well, you could be in that dark room with him and you could explain what a torch does. You could explain the history of torches, if you, if you knew that. You could, uh, you could explain the science behind how a torch works. But he's still going to think you're mad because you're sitting in a dark room with him and you haven't got any light. Whereas if you were there with a torch, even if he disagreed with your argument, even if he didn't believe you about the history of it, he would be persuaded that something, something you said may be true when you turned on the torch's light and lit up the room. The same is true with Christ. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to people into their hearts. You know, Jesus equipped the disciples for three years. He taught them what they needed to know to continue the mission. And yet he said to them, didn't he? He said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And by that, he meant the Spirit coming upon them. God wants you in your walk to receive fresh power today to live for him. It's not about us struggling, trying hard, oh yeah, I must do better, I must try and witness more. It's about us receiving from the Spirit of God 
afresh, allowing him to have our hearts and to work in our lives and then being obedient to what he has called us to. When Jesus sent out the 12 or the 72, he didn't, he didn't anoint their mouths and say, you know, go and have, a, have really clever speech and great arguments. He didn't anoint their minds and say, you know, go and uh, I'll give you wisdom so that you can answer all difficult questions. He sent them out and said, preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out the demonic. That was the three things that he charged them to do. Christ has now ascended on high. And he said, when he ascends on high, he will send his spirit out amongst his people. The Holy Spirit is wanting, the Spirit is wanting heaven's power to break out through you and through me. Power to set the captive free from sin. And I believe there's people here this morning who have been struggling with sin in their life, areas of sin in their life that God wants to set free this morning by the power of the Spirit and give you the power to continue to walk in that freedom as well. His power is here to produce the fruits of the Spirit in your life as you walk in faith and obedience to Him. But you know, some of the ways God produces fruits in your life or in other people's life is by us being obedient to God in the use of the gifts of the Spirit as well, and, and them being at work amongst us. You know, the gift of speaking in tongues, for example, is a, is a wonderful, albeit slightly peculiar gift that edifies you personally in your own walk with God. The Apostle Paul tells us that he speaks in tongues more than any of, of the Corinthians, who arguably spoke in tongues more than the rest of us here anyway. And so if you haven't received that gift, can I encourage you today, at the end, ask prayer to receive that gift in your life. Prophecy and words of knowledge. They have shaped my life. They have shaped my character. They have shaped major decisions that Anna and myself have done in our lives. This gift speaks into situations and changes things. And many of you in this room can testify, I'm getting a few amens down here, many of you can testify to how someone has brought a word from God for you, and they didn't know what was going on, and you think, oh, God sees my situation. Or you're praying, what do I do? And they say, oh, I don't know what's going on, but I just feel this is going on. You say, oh, thank you, Lord, I know what to do uh, now in that situation. My friends, we want more of these gifts amongst us, more of these gifts flowing through us and in our lives uh, as well. The Spirit's power is wanting to break out in healings and miracles amongst us as well. Yes, in our meetings. We want to see more in our meetings. But interestingly, when you look in the book of, or well, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, the majority of recorded healings and miracles happen in the context of mission. In fact, Discipleship in the Bible is in the context of mission. Go and make disciples. As you go, you make disciples. Jesus said to his disciples, follow 
me. And he took them on a three-year mission as they followed him and discipled them on mission. So discipleship happens on mission, and it would appear from what's recorded in Scripture that the majority of miracles and healings happened while people were on a mission for God. So my friends, let's not shrink back when the Spirit prompts us to pray for somebody for the pain that they're going through or a difficult situation they're in or a healing that they need. Because 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 tells us this. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. God's given you that spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And my friends, we need to draw upon his spirit so we can walk in these ways. So let's make room in our hearts, in our, in our lives, for heaven's power to break through you into the world around you. Which leads me on to my second point. We need faith in his power. You know, when I was younger, I had the privilege of going uh, with my school on, on a ski trip. And uh, it was a privilege for me, maybe not for my teachers and uh, the, the, the people there. Anyway, one, one poor ski instructor had the joy or burden of teaching me and about eight other boys uh, how to ski. All of us were of a, uh, we'd had some training, so we knew how to, to ski a little bit. So we were of a, uh, uh, well, not beginner standard, it was a little bit above beginner, I wouldn't like to say medium. But uh, anyway, the first day was literally spent with us boys falling sideways down the side of a slope because we wouldn't listen to the instructor who kept saying, lean into the hill, lean into the hill. And you, as you cut across it, and you won't slip down. But that didn't feel natural. I felt like you were going to fall down as you did that. And uh, it took us a day to realize that this guy knows what he's talking about. That's why he's called an instructor. And uh, <laughs> we were clever boys, we were back there. Anyway, and, uh, it took us a day to realize that. And after that, that, that day, actually, our experience on the slope was directly related to how closely we listened to his instructions. And what he could do with us on the slope was directly related to how much we trust him, or more precisely, how much he could trust us to do what he had said. And by the end of the week, we were doing some amazing runs. Not, not the most difficult ones because of our ability or lack of ability, but, um, but we were doing some pretty cool ski runs as well. It was really, really good fun. And the point of this story is it gives you an illustration of the role that faith plays in what God can do with you and wants to do with you. Now, let me make this clear here, that we serve a sovereign God who, is, who the Bible makes clear is in control of everything and will cause whatever he wants to happen to happen at precisely the right time. And for those of you that this matters uh, to, we're probably not many of you, but uh, uh, theologically speaking, I am reformed in that sense. My son, is called, my second son, is called Josiah Calvin 
for a reason, and it's not because of Calvin Klein. It's uh, for another uh, Calvin. I, I don't own any Calvin. Oh, actually, I have a Calvin Klein wallet. That, there you go. I have one, but that's not why my son is, a, is called it. Um, so, but the Bible is the basis of all we believe. And whilst I would uh, uh, argue that Reformed theology is the most true to the Bible uh, teachings, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, there are occasions in there where you see godly men and women responding to God in faith. And God, because of their faith, acts in a way that makes some Reformed theologians uncomfortable in how they respond. And they try and spend ages trying to argue why God's responded like that. My friends, pastorally speaking, speaking as your pastor, we can trust God's sovereignty. When we pray for things and they don't work out the way that we wanted or hoped for or had faith for even, we don't give in to the thoughts of, oh, I failed, I'm no good, it's due to my lack of faith and uh, uh, I'm rubbish. And sadly, some high-profile Christian leaders who uh, God uses to heal wrongly put the emphasis publicly on people uh, that it's their lack of faith why they haven't been healed because it's not to do with that super leader's uh, uh, faith because he's got faith for them to be healed. That is pastorally insensitive and it's also not true. Jesus healed people who came to him with faith. Jesus healed people who came to him with doubts. Jesus healed people who came to him with no faith because they were dead. So if there was a... (laughs) So if it was down to the faith and that person should question only himself as to why the person he's prayed for has not been healed. In truth, what you have to do is just trust God has a higher purpose than healing you in that situation, as the Apostle Paul did in, in 2 Corinthians 12. That said, God is looking for us to be a people of faith. It says in Mark 9, For all things are possible for the one who believes. And Luke puts it, For I truly say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. Both these sayings were given in the context of mission, where Jesus was either healing or dealing with the demonic as well. Just interesting to note that. How often do you and I come to God asking him for the impossible, asking him to break out in ways that are not possible in the natural? Are we limiting God by doing that? Faith is like a muscle, you see. It grows the more you use it. Saul's son, Jonathan, he risked his life going against an army that was far superior to him on a maybe the Lord would deliver us. Maybe the Lord would work for us. So even when we go into situations and we have some doubts and we're not sure, let's put our courage to the, or screw our courage to the sticking place, as, as a, the old saying is, and let's go for it and see what the Lord wants to do. The book of James tells us Elijah was a man 
with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. James, like most preachers, is using an extreme example. But his point is very clear and obvious to us. And a little uh, later, he tells us that, a little earlier, sorry, he tells us that we should be praying for healing and that through the prayer of faith, you will be healed. God wants us to come trusting him like a little child does his parents. We, it's us who overcomplicate things and, you know, and think it's, it, it, we think it's adult to sound cynical, don't we, in this country in, in particular. But when we come to God, even though there may be many things in the world to be cynical about, when we come to God, we come as a little child full of faith in our heavenly Father. Because that's what God wants us to. And to help us this morning, in a minute, actually the kids, whilst we've been in here, and the youth, whilst we've been in here, have been praying and, uh, and seeking God for, for words to, to bring to us, of what, what God wants to share with us this morning. And so as we come back in, the kids, as we come to worship, the kids are going to come and share what God has been speaking to them this morning to lead us into what God wants for us uh, in a bit. But can I encourage you, if God speaks to you this morning during the worship time as well, respond in faith. If God speaks to you through one of these little children or one of the youth who are in, in uh, much embarrassment of what their friends will think will be coming up here, don't you give in to that embarrassment of, oh, what will people think if I respond to this? Respond if that word that they bring is for you and come and get prayer for that. You see, because in conclusion, the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. And Jesus wants you to enable heaven's power to break through into the world around us. Amen? Amen.